1: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of fight back from the week that was. It is a long goodbye over these 10 days of mourning in Britain for the Queen ahead of her state funeral this Monday, September 19th. It is a time of reflection on Queen Elizabeth's 70 years of service. It's also a time to become acquainted with the new king, Charles III. We had a fill-in Zoomer squad this past Monday who joined me, also filling in for Libby, to comment on this lengthy period of mourning in Britain. David Tarrant is a conservative strategist and vice president, National Strategic Communications at Enterprise. Anthony Wilson-Smith is president and CEO of Historica Canada. And David Coletto is CEO and founding partner of Abacus Data. I asked David Coletto first, what do you make of the tradition and ceremonies around the Queen's death?
2: I find it interesting. I think it's there's a lot of history uh, behind the the ceremonies and the process. Frankly, it feels somewhat arcane to me. And and you know, even having uh, the new king have to you know pledge to defend the Protestant faith, um, it was interesting being let in and seeing um, that that ascension uh, process behind what has historically been behind closed doors. Um, I think was it was a break for the public to be to to be uh, included. But I do think that. I think there's a lot of people watching who are wondering why we have to go through all of this and and what, you know, the purpose is and whether there's opportunities to modernize some of, uh, you know, the the ceremonies behind what is an important institution, but one also that is, I think, for many Canadians and I, I assume other subjects of the Commonwealth, one that they don't quite understand why we
1: still have. No, and I appreciate your honesty and your perspective as a millennial, uh, David Coletto, and uh, it's not unlike what my children are feeling, uh, you know, grown adults in their late 20s, feeling very similarly to the way you're feeling. Um, I'm going to take your question and put it to Anthony Wilson-Smith at Historica Canada. Why all this pomp and circumstance over 10 days?
3: Well, I'll tell you what it reminds me of is an important political distinction between Britain and Canada, among others, and the U.S., which is that in the U.S., all of the pomp and circumstance and ceremony and everything else are concentrated in the office of the person who's elected the president, whereas in Canada, or, of course, with the queen, you know, or now the king in the U.K., we split that off. So it's possible, therefore, and, you know, I, I prefer the way we do it because it's possible here, for example, to argue with, and as I'm sure, Mr., as I hear Mr. Ployev has this morning, you know, to say some harsh words about the political leader of the country without sounding as though you're dumping on the whole country. We see all the time in the U.S. that people who criticize the president are accused of being disloyal to the entire country. We don't do that. I think there's a pretty clear sense, and, I, you know, David's kind of alluding to it, that uh, we're seeing, you know, something we will not see again, that there won't be anybody else with a singular impact on so many countries, including, for that matter, probably, the, you know, the one of her birth. Um, it's, you know... The Other question is, and we will we'll have more time to get on well now. Is you know, if you don't have a queen or you don't have the monarchy, what do you have? So, if you elect a president in republic instead, then you're electing someone, and then you get back to the same issue before. I remember talking about this to a governor general years ago, and you know, if not this, then what? That's the big question to mm. come next.
1: David Tarrant, uh, what are your thoughts on all that is going on over these 10 days of mourning?
4: Well, you know, Jane, I think there's a fundamental. Uh, tension we see in in uh, our society and in other countries uh, about kind of the role of tradition and traditional institutions versus uh, a sense that you know um, we should we should turn the page on those traditions because we have it all figured out with the kind of social values we have right now and and in one 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 sense of the word Queen Elizabeth uh, you know values as she represented constancy service a certain resoluteness I think a lot of people feel it's almost sadly that's that, that there are largely values of a bygone age and maybe something that that we wish more people kind of uh, embodied in today's society um, and, and you know and so the whole notion of 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 that tradition and 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 I take David's point fully some people don't see themselves in in the in these traditions um, but there's a real value in in looking at um, the things that, 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 uh, that, that Queen Elizabeth II, that she represented, that the monarchy represented. And what do you replace it with? Do you replace it with a sense that we have it all figured out and the, and the social values and the political values that we have right now today have it all figured out. And therefore, those, you know, those, the, the inherited wisdom and institutions and traditions of previous generations should be discarded if they're inconvenient to our current social mores or, Is there a way to actually grow and change while still respect kind of this wonderful inheritance we have?
1: David Tarrant is a conservative strategist and vice president of National Strategic Communications at Enterprise. Anthony Wilson-Smith is president and CEO of Historica Canada. And David Coletto is CEO and founding partner of Abacus Data. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Here in Ontario, the new Omicron-targeted bivalent COVID vaccine is now being offered to those described as the province's most vulnerable. These are residents of long-term care homes, people 70 and over, healthcare workers, Indigenous people and their household members 18 and over, all immunocompromised people 12 and over, and those who are pregnant. All adults 18 and over become eligible for the new bivalent shot a week from Monday on September 26th. Joining me to discuss these significant changes in the COVID vaccine rollout, Dr. Barry Pekas, Medical Officer of Health for York Region, and epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, Professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University. I asked Dr. Sly first about this new vaccine and how it's different from the original COVID vaccine.
5: It contains components from the original uh, virus we all experienced about uh, two years ago, almost difficult to say that now, together with some components from the uh, Omicron family. The particular components here are taken from the BA1 group, which caused that horrible spike back, if you remember, in the winter mm-hmm. of this year. Uh, but it's still very, certainly very relevant to the uh, Omicron stuff we have at the moment.
1: Uh, Dr. Sly, do you think, in your professional opinion, we should have waited for the bivalent vaccine that targets BA four and BA five Omicron subvariants?
5: No, I'm sure Dr. Vegas has got some really good inside information on this. But from my uh, information, it, it's it's appropriate to bring this out now. The protection is going to be uh, excellent. And uh, yes, of course, as, it, as the new new variants and the sub-variants come out, so vaccines will try and catch up after a period of time. But that's no sense in waiting until the very uh, best one comes out because you're going to miss those opportunities for being protected in, in the intervening period.
1: Okay, Dr. Peck, is, uh are you in agreement with that? Is this the right bivalent vaccine for us to be receiving?
6: Yeah, I would definitely agree with Dr. Sly that right now, it's, it's what's available, and it's the thing we should be getting. And there there isn't terrific evidence, or there, there isn't going to be until after the fact, really, about which one might be very slightly better, the, the you know one for the BA-4 or 5 that might come out in the future, versus the BA-1 Moderna. Uh, and Moderna actually historically was marginally better, even though many people in Ontario were a little bit hesitant about it. Um, so I would definitely say... You know, for anyone considering it, I I would not wait. We're, you know, the main reason we're getting that bivalent out right now is to prevent the, you know, morbidity, mortality, people having to go to hospital or, or potentially worse in the fall. And so, you know, for that purpose, now or the next couple of weeks uh, is, is going to be the time you want to get it, not whatever may come in the future.
1: Okay. Now, there was no fanfare with this announcement. That is a first uh, for the entire COVID vaccine rollout in Ontario. We found out that people were eligible after they were actually eligible. Do you know why this was the case, Dr. Peckes? Well, you know, uh, <laughs>
6: there's a lot of fanfare in the in the vaccine community. Certainly, um, you know, the, the it, you know there hasn't been a uh, a big press conference, and you know, we we have certainly um, been preparing for this for quite some time. You know, obviously, it's unfortunate that the announcement came, you know, a, a few hours after or a little bit after the eligibility started. Uh, but you know, I, I think it's not. Uh, we, we don't need to focus too much on that. Mm-hmm. I, I think the main thing really is the difference between this and previous vaccine rollouts is, you know, we are getting this early, uh, early enough to prevent a, a surge. And and really, you know, the history of COVID until this point, you know, we've really been trying to vaccinate people with the first, second, and then third, and then and then fourth dose, um, you know, while we're in the middle of, of quite serious waves. And so now we have this opportunity to vaccinate, you know, preventively, really, before the wave comes. So You know, whether that announcement was a couple of hours earlier or later or even, you know, a week earlier or later, you know, the focus now is getting that vaccine into folks over the next couple of weeks prior to what we're expecting to happen, you know, likely in the late fall.
1: Dr. Sly, what can we expect in terms of we get this bivalent shot in the fall? What comes after that?
5: Uh, if there's anything that's been uh, characterized with this virus, is it's the uncertainty and the surprises that appear almost every week. Uh, if you ask that question, I think if uh, uh, Corinne asked that question, say in six months, we might have a much firmer answer as to how long it takes and what the waning immunity is like. But even that changes with, with people and their age group and their background uh, medical conditions. So it's very uncertain
1: epidemiologist Dr. Tim Sly, professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health at Toronto Metropolitan University, and Dr. Barry Pecos, medical officer of health for York Region. You're listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, what's next for Pierre Poiliev?
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zuma Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. It wouldn't be much of an exaggeration to say that Pierre Poiliev has been crowned head of the Conservative Party of Canada. The numbers and their distribution across the country are impressive. And it didn't take long for the sparring insults to begin between Pierre Poiliev and the prime minister. Justin Trudeau has characterized Poiliev's platform as buzzwords, dog whistles, and careless attacks, while the new conservative leader says the government is being run by a radical woke coalition. This is a reference to the agreement between the Jagmeet Singh New Democrats and the minority liberals to keep the government going through 2025 as long as the liberals implement certain NDP-inspired policies. Libby was joined on Tuesday by Fightback's Recovering Politicians panel to discuss Pierre Poiliev's victory last Saturday and his first few days of leadership. Sherry De Novo is a former Ontario NDP MPP and recipient of the Order of Canada. John Malloy is a former Ontario Liberal MPP and Cabinet Minister. And Hugh Siegel is a former Canadian Senator.
7: I think the results speak eloquently to how hard uh, Pierre Polyev and his people worked. It's also important to note that clearly um, um, Polyev was focused on simply bringing in members who would be supportive of his leadership. Whatever it took, he was prepared to do it, and he did. And now he's the leader, and he won an overwhelming victory. Now the challenge is, how does he take his message and the Conservative Party into a place where they actually have support? Outside the Conservative family. And that's important because you don't you don't know Conservative wins an election in any province or in Canada just by getting their own people to vote for them. They've got to get liberal NDP switchers who are prepared to look at another party. So that's Pierre's major challenge now, and I don't underestimate his ability to do it, but it will force some moderation, in the sorts of things he's saying and proposing. Let's go
8: to John Malloy and welcome John. I think this is uh, our first outing. What do you think of his election?
9: Well, listen. First of all, it's great to be on the on the program. I I don't want to take anything away from him. I might be, uh, you know, from a different party, but I think uh, he had a spectacular victory. I've been impre- I haven't been impressed with some of the craziness. I've got to tell you, he's been on message uh, a lot when it comes to economic issues. He is, I think, really touched some 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 buttons out there. Uh, when you're know, spoken about inflation and the and the cost of groceries, and you know the great line he had about uh, you know a government that can't run passport offices, he's asking the right questions. The problem he's going to have is that he's he's got everyone's attention. But over time, people are going to start to say, well, what are the answers? And he doesn't really have a lot of answers. I mean, you know, I watched his speech Saturday night, very, very well done. But, you know, there was no substance there. I mean, you know, cutting cutting the deficit to get rid of inflation may sound good. But if if cutting the deficit means taking money out of the pockets of people through through either higher taxes or less services or less in terms of transfers, I mean, people are going to start to kick the tires of this car. And uh, that'll be when the when the questions arise. But I I don't want to uh, you know I want to give him credit. He 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 did a great job in terms of his campaign, and he did a great job in terms of addressing some of the issues that people care about. And I think uh, you know my, my my former colleagues there in the Liberal Party could could learn some lessons from him about talking about things that people care about.
8: Sherry, um one of the things about Pierre Poilievre, he has characterized the agreement between the Liberals and the NDP as a radical
10: woke coalition. So uh, are they radically woke? Uh, absolutely not, and uh, I will agree only on one thing with my colleagues, and by the way, it's an honor to be on the panel with them, um, and and that is that he's uh, a magnificent organizer. But where is he organized? He's organized on the, the right wing. Uh, he's organized among fringe players. He's organized among the convoy people, and he's been dropping in the polls over the summer because of it. Uh, not with his own party, obviously, but that was predicted months ago. I mean, I think months ago we knew he was going to win, maybe not on the first ballot, but with a huge majority. I mean, this is a man who supported the convoy, and we know that between 62 and 70 percent of Canadians do not support the convoy. So this is not somebody who, despite his rhetoric, uh, stands with the working class. He stands with the elite. He is one of the elite. Um, And I think you'll find that Canadians don't have much stomach for that uh I it'll be very interesting to see the aggregate polls when they come out given a, a little uh you know breather space between the, his uh, his crowning as he said and um uh, and the, the you know the reality in Canada because I think most Canadians don't want Pierre Polyev as prime minister and I think it would be a disaster if he was I mean this is a man who suggested we invest in bitcoin I mean enough said
1: Sherry DeNovo is a former Ontario NDP MPP and recipient of the Order of Canada. John Malloy is a former Ontario Liberal MPP and Cabinet Minister. And Hugh Siegel is a former Canadian Senator. Fight Back's Recovering Politicians panel. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Did you know arthritis is the most common health condition in Canada, affecting one in five people? September is Arthritis Awareness Month. Wait times for joint replacement surgery were bad before the pandemic began, but they have ballooned significantly because of the COVID crisis. And one of the big problems around arthritis is that the condition is often minimized, with some people saying it's just arthritis or that it's an inevitable part of aging, which it is not. Libby was joined on Tuesday by Trish Barbato, president and CEO of the Arthritis Society of Canada.
11: Most of the people with arthritis are under the age of 65. So the majority of people today with arthritis are under the age of 65. People are shocked by that. Also, that people are of every age. Children are diagnosed when they're 2, when they're 4, when they're 10, when they're 14 with arthritis. It affects young people, working people, men, women. So it's really, really prevalent. And I think that that's one of the myths that I think makes it less of a condition that people are talking about and talking about I think with the respect if I may say that it deserves but there's a
8: range uh, and we're talking about osteoarthritis which is the most common type there's a range I mean it, it, you can have mild moderate and you can have serious arthritis that that really limits your life
11: yeah absolutely and I think that's a really important thing about the the types of arthritis there's over a hundred so the complexity of the disease is really interesting you have the whole you have a whole side that's autoimmune related so with rheumatoid arthritis this is really serious you want to get treated early. You want to be assessed. You want to get a diagnosis as fast as possible because you need treatment for that. And I agree with the osteo. It definitely has a range, but it's really interesting. A friend that I know told me that his foot has been bothering him for so long. He eventually went and got it checked out and he has arthritis in his big toe. He said, I never in a million years would have thought that arthritis in my big toe would have taken up so much of my my brain waves, my thoughts every day, the the pain I'm experiencing walking. So I do agree with you that there is a range, but even arthritis in one joint can really impact a person's day-to-day quality of life. And we just want to give a voice to people to say, yeah, we hear you. We agree with you. I want to get back to
8: this perception that it's common, it's a result of old age. Is that, and and the surgery is, I'm here on air quotes, elective. Is is that a big part of the problem?
11: Oh, I think that I I really detest that word. I mean, how can it be elective? Like, I have a mother-in-law who is waiting for a new replacement. She can't walk. So she can't go to her exercise class now. She's just getting worse and worse. I'm watching it before my very eyes. So yeah, it's not elective. It is scheduled. And of course, we need to prioritize and do all those things. But people really need to advocate for themselves. Sometimes I think that, you know, we really miss people. And I've heard of people who they thought that their appointment was set, but they hadn't gotten a confirmation or they thought they had an appointment, but then they didn't. And so I think Keeping up to date with your doctor to get you that appointment to the surgeon, with the surgeon to make sure that you're fully prepared, you have all your questions, you have someone with you, just really helping to make that as seamless as possible is really important. What do you want to leave people with on this? You know, I'm going to leave you with what I heard from a woman, young mother, living with arthritis, and she said, I want people to realize that just because they can't see my arthritis does not mean that I am not suffering. So if I am slow to get to something, don't be impatient with me. If you are wondering why I am not quick enough getting out of my car or doing this or doing that, I might have arthritis and you just don't know it. So I think that empathy around the fact that so many people have arthritis, that it tends, unless you see the deformity in the joint, it is invisible. And I think acknowledging that and the work that we're doing to try and support the lives of people just like her. So supporting us, uh, supporting research, we really appreciate the time with you and talking about arthritis, my favorite topic.
1: Trish Barbato, President and CEO of the Arthritis Society of Canada. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. Still to come, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back knockout call of the week.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back
1: with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Arlene and Lindsay phoned during our segment on arthritis. My mother had arthritis in her
10: hands and her knees, etc., and the hands get deformed, et cetera. Well, now I'm getting older, and as I'm aging, I'm getting the exact same hands, I have called them my mother's hands, and my sisters, the same thing. They're a bit younger than I am, but they're heading down the same road. So all of us seem to have inherited the deformity of the hands especially, and um, we're not sure why, or et cetera, especially now after I'm hearing this, it's not inevitable. Well, for us, it seems that it's going to be inevitable, and it is inevitable because it's happening to me personally.
0: And now, Fight Back's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner
1: of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week is Maureen in North York who phoned to talk about how impactful it has been to watch the journey of the Queen's coffin ahead of Monday's state funeral.
10: The silence of the crowd was so incredible. The respect for Queen Elizabeth, our former Queen Elizabeth. And, you know, she was a voice, such a steadying influence on our world to all tumultuous events, and one of the things I'm going to miss is her speech at Christmas. <laughs> always watched that. And what happens in the future, I think St. Charles will step up. I think he will do a good job. And I think the problems in, that we have in our nature nation, I don't know if removing the monarch will really solve them. I said, but those are things in days to come.
1: nine six three six i'm jane brown join me again at the same time tomorrow when we'll round up the rest of the best of fight
0: back the best of fight back is produced by jane brown justin Eacock, and zeve Hadi, with technical production by kelly robotham executive producer moses nimer